We're looking at uh, Psalm 107 today, and uh, I'm just going to read the whole thing. It's a humdinger of a psalm, (laughs) and what I invite you to do as you read through it, listen for the story. Listen for the story. Hear the word of God now through Psalm 107. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for humankind. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness. Prisoners suffering in iron chains because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled. And there was no one to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for humankind. For he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. Some became fools for their rebellious ways. And suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food. And drew near the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love. And his wonderful deeds for humankind. Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. So he said he would destroy them, had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to keep his wrath from destroying them. Then they despised the pleasant land. They did not believe his promise. They grumbled in their tents and did not obey the Lord. So he swore to them with uplifted hand that he would make them fall in the wilderness, make their descendants fall among the nations and scatter them throughout the lands. They yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices offered to lifeless gods. They aroused the Lord's anger by their wicked deeds. And a plague broke out among them. But Phineas stood up and intervened, and the plague was checked. This was credited to him as righteousness for endless generations to come. By the waters of Meribah, the anger of the Lord. And trouble came to Moses because of them. For they rebelled against the Spirit of God, and rash words came from Moses' lips. They did not destroy the people as the Lord had commanded them, but they mingled with the nations and adopted their customs. They worshipped their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons. They shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was desecrated by their blood." They defiled themselves by what they did. By their deeds, they prostituted themselves. Therefore, 
The Lord was angry with his people and abhorred his inheritance. He gave them into the hands of the nations, and their foes ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them and subjected them to their power. Many times he delivered them, but they were bent on rebellion, and they wasted away in their sin. Yet he took note of their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake, he remembered his covenant, and out of his great love, he relented. He caused all who held them captive to show them mercy. Save us, Lord our God, and gather us from the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Let's say these two last lines together. Let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. God always blesses the reading of God's holy word. Come, Holy Spirit, lead us again. May the words of my mouth and meditations of all of our hearts be pure and acceptable. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Come, faithful one. Amen. Well, my uh, daughter, Grace, who's going to be 13 next month, no, 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 no. She was just playing with her collection section from Dinosaur Train. She just had her buy little ponies. She can't be 13. No. Anyway, um, so uh, she found out, about, started watching this high school musical TV show. And we love music, and we love just pop culture, and a lot, I mean, some of it's bad, but a lot of it's good. And um, it's a mix, like everything, you know, like like us, like everyone, like every human being. And uh, she turned us on to this high school musical. Uh, it's called High School Musical, the musical, the series. And it's sort of a fun Disney show about about doing a musical in high school. And it's really great. And we started watching last night and we kind of all got hooked on the story. The story was good. The people were interesting. There are characters. There is a arc. There are tension points. Uh, there's, there's good and there's evil, right? If you will. Stories pull us in. I said this before. I'll say it probably many more times. Someone said, whoever tells the best story wins. And this is what we do here. We tell stories at our core. Stories from scripture and the way they intermingle with our story. Because really the biblical story is our story. It's us. You heard and saw the words as I shared them with you. And you may have caught the rhythm of that story. There was a recurring flow. And I have to say, in a lot of pop culture, a lot of songs, a lot of movies, you hear a similar, similar themes are these sort of mega themes in our stories, you know? And in many respects, they are an echo often in some way, shape, or form of the themes of creation, fall, and redemption in some way, right? Something good, something good gets messed up, something good needs to be fixed, right? I mean, that's it, right? And in many respects, the the Bible has the archetype, it's the original of that story. But more on that in a minute. Scholars point out that the source information 
for the authorship of the Psalms typically comes with each Psalm. You may notice that many Psalms have titles. The oldest biblical manuscripts contain these titles, so we think many of these attributions are very ancient and therefore reliable. And you see in various Psalms, uh, they're attributed to Moses, Solomon, Asaph, the sons of Korah, and of course, King David. But interestingly enough, this one we just read is one of 34 Psalms that do not have a title and an attribution. Strictly speaking, this is anonymous. It's anonymous. And that's actually kind of neat. We don't know exactly who the author is. Maybe they were an older, esteemed person in the community. He was reflecting back on many, many years. Maybe they're middle-aged, in midlife, empty nesters of a sort, you know. Maybe they were a young up-and-comer. We don't know. It could be any one of these groups in ancient Israel. This psalm is found at a demarcation point in the book of Psalms. The way the entire book of Psalms is arranged, this particular psalm sits at the very beginning of a new section of the book of Psalms. It begins, begins a part of the book of Psalms that is meant to celebrate a new day, a new era. The era just after the Jews returned from exile in Babylon. What happened was this. The Jewish people had been carried off to a foreign land, sent in exile for their because they had rebelled and were disobedient to God. That was the consequence. Well, Psalm 107, you heard that in, in the story it tells. And as you heard in that rhythm we mentioned, there's an ebb and flow. You heard it. Tide goes in, tide comes out. Between the people of Israel losing their way, tide goes way out, mud gets stuck, you know, it reveals kind of roughness. They rebel against God, they get into trouble, they cry out to God again, and then the tide of grace comes in, washes over them, saves them, brings them into goodness. And then guess what? They rebel again. (laughs) Tide goes out, they mess up, they get stuck. But guess what? Tide comes back in. God loves them again. You know, you can read creation theologically. Sometimes the tide tides are good that way. And they were and anything, you know, the fall, winter, spring. You can once you know the Bible enough, you can see, and you can see these mega themes, you can see them popping up even in, in creation. Well, tide goes in, tide goes out, tide goes in, tide goes out. The tide keeps coming in. We have three distinct voices in this psalm. One voice describes the people's sin and rebellion, the tide going out. Another voice describes God's interventions in people's sin and rebellion, the tide coming in. Another voice describes the appropriate response to God's interventions. So, First, let's look at the voice descriptions of the people's failures. Starting with verse 4, some wandered in desert wastelands. Verse 5, they were hungry and thirsty, their lives ebbed away. Some sat in darkness, utter darkness, verse 10, because they rebelled, verse 11. So he subjected them to bitter labor, verse 12. Some became fools, verse 17. They loathed all food, drew the gates of death. They mounted up the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. Verse 26. 
They reeled and staggered like drunkards, verse 27. They were at their wit's end. They cried out to God in their trouble. They sowed. Uh, their numbers decreased, and they were humbled by oppression, calamity, and sorrow, verse 39. Not a pretty story. It's not sanitized. We get the, we get the rough stuff here. It's a story of wandering, hunger, thirst, crying out. It's a story of sitting in the dark. A story of being chained, suffering affliction, failing in courage, decreasing in harvest, feeling oppressed, being in the midst of calamity. Can you relate? The COVID calamity, the way the vitriol of our political polarization has gone way beyond just healthy debate and into just hatefulness, anger-driven news cycles, I think, as I've said before, entire networks that make their money off of keeping people angry. Well, this is biblical, we could say, in the sense that it's the story that's always been. Nothing new under the sun here. It's the same old story. It's remarkable that the core of our biblical story is an unsuccessful people. It is a failed people. The remarkable fact of our core biblical story is, is, is that it's not focused on a group of folks who hung in there and persevered. It's not about a person or people who redeemed themselves from some awful mistakes. They keep making the same mistakes. That's clear in the psalm. There's a rhythm to it. Failed, failed again, failed again, failed again. The core of the biblical story summarized so beautifully in this psalm is not the people's relentless pulling themselves by their, up, their, up by their own bootstraps. It's God's relentless, tenacious tide. The love that keeps flowing out inexplicably, indefatigably, after mistake, after mistake, after mistake, and rebellion and rebellion and rebellion, and consequence for that rebellion, and consequence for that rebellion, nevertheless, the people are never abandoned. God never leaves them to stew in their own mess. God in sheer grace intervenes. God in sheer grace takes them back. God in sheer grace does not give them up, does not give up. Listen to this. He delivered them from their distress, verse 6. He led them by a straight way, verse 7. Verse 13, he saved them from their distress. 14, he broke them out of darkness. Verse 19, he saved them from their distress. 20, he sent out his word and healed them. 28, he brought them out of their distress. Verse 29, he stilled the storm to a whisper. Verse 30, he guided them to their desired haven. Verse 35, he turned the desert into pools of water. Verse 36, he brought the hungry to live. Verse, uh, and then he lifted the needy out of their affliction and increased their families like flocks. God could have given up, but God didn't. God doesn't need us, and yet God never gave up on us. 
There's a sci-fi movie called Prometheus. Anybody seen it? Uh, I don't recommend it, um, but <laughs> more on that in a second. But uh, the story revolves around the discovery of a communication which could be from a group called the Engineers, the Creators of Humankind. It's a, this is a sci-fi movie directed by the great Ridley Scott, who also did The Martian, which I do recommend. Great movie and other films. Again, I don't think the film is particularly good, um, but it does have this fascinating premise. What will happen when humankind meets their creators or these engineers as they're called in the film? Well, the humans in the film venture across the galaxy on a spaceship. They follow this map left on a cave And the lead characters in the film finally meet the engineers whom they're so excited to meet. And, well, let's just say it doesn't go very well. The engineers, the creators, turn on their creation. Things go bad. How different, how different is the picture of our biblical God? It's easy to be more like the engineers and Prometheus toward each other when we don't live up to each other's best hopes. Think of it. Think of this. If someone treated you like the Israelites treated God, as reported in this psalm, how likely would you be to stick with them? How long would that last? Prometheus tells us what we already know really about ourselves. In other words, it's a projection of God out of our own failures. I think that's what this, unfortunately, that's what the authors do and in their engineers. They, they see the engineers as being just like us. And they're right about that in the sense that we are a mess. God's, if you're going to project yourself onto these, these, engineer type figures it's not going to and they're going to try to render a verdict on us it's not going to go well but the biblical god is god not like us left to ourselves we would have been each other but god god is not like us over and over and over again god relentlessly reaches out and grabs hold of us no our disobedience there's a scene in Prometheus where the engineer grabs hold of somebody and it goes a different way. God grabs hold of us and pulls us in and loves us. And you could say ultimately in becoming one of us in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that's God's ultimate embrace of grabbing hold, running after us. Ultimately in the incarnation, putting skin on to hug humanity and heal our relationship with him. You know the old beautiful book, my Heart, Christ's Home. Familiar with it? The title speaks volumes. Don't even have to read that book. Read the, just look the title, My Heart, Christ's Home. When this God makes a home in your heart, think of what happens. When a God who's like that, like Psalm 107, lives in your heart, when that God moves in to your heart, prepare for renovation and expansion. We're getting ready this week for my sister-in-law to move in to our our home uh, just uh, across the other side of Payne Field. She's down in Federal Way. She is in end-stage colon cancer. She's on hospice. 
and uh, her body is starting to fail, but she's still in, in pretty good, you know, um, uh, pretty good way. And we're, she's bringing up games for us and things to do together. And, and we're going to spend her last days together as a family. And hopefully that'll, we think they say maybe four to six months. Uh, we don't, you never know for sure. Um, but what is, you know, Beth, Eli, she goes by, in some ways, I've never seen her more alive. You know, the, the resurrection of God is breaking in, taking hold. And as we make a space for her in our home, we're moving with God who makes a space for us relentlessly in his life and even ultimately unto death, even, even by the resurrection saying, no, death, you don't, you don't have a hold. I'm going to make a space. I'm going to crush death, right? I'm going to make a space for you beyond death. Death, I'm going to step on you, you know, and we're going to create space called heaven and the heavenlies and the garden and paradise. So when this God moves into your heart, we become space makers, right? We make space for the world. Watch out. Is your heart open to those who wandered in desert wastelands? It will be. Is your heart open to those who are hungry and thirsty? If not, it will be in Christ. Is your heart open to those who cry out to the Lord in their trouble? In Christ and in in God's ever-expanding heart in your heart, it will be. Is your heart open to those who sat in darkness and utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains? Is your heart open to those who rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High? When God gets in your heart and renovates you, your heart will be open. Those whose courage melted away, those who reeled and staggered like drunkards, maybe who literally drunk, those who's been those who've been humbled by oppression and calamity and sorrow. We're gonna get four to six thousand refugees from Afghanistan and the state of Washington coming soon. These are people who know sorrow and who know you know, they, I don't even want to say it. You know, it's it's beyond description. And they're coming. When God gets in our hearts and works in us, when this God of Psalm 107 gets in our hearts and works in us, look out. Who knows what, what, kind, of, what kind of renovation and space we're going to make now more than ever. Our world needs a people shaped by God's heart is expressed in this psalm. May it be so for you and for me too, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen, amen.